Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We've got a big event coming up. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks. It is the Orthodox <sighs> Jewish All-Stars Annual Event. We are holding it in Manhattan at the Museum of Jewish Heritage on Thursday, March 31st. And we'll be fe featuring our 10 uh, Orthodox Jewish All-Stars um, from 2015 technically, but um, we're celebrating it in 2016. By the time we're able to get all these All-Stars together, um, it took a little bit of time. We should have eight and possibly nine of this year's All-Stars at the event, as well as numerous All-Stars from former years. And just if anyone hasn't heard about this before, the Orthodox Jewish All-Stars is an event. It's a, a movie premiere, and it's a celebration of um, Orthodox Jews who are excelling in a variety of professional uh, fields. And the idea is to show people that being an observant Jew need not limit your career choices. And um, it's always an exciting time. We have food being catered by uh, Bedford Kitchen. The chef from there is Alex Resnick, who actually is a top chef who has had a little bit of a Jewish journey himself. We have Saul Blinkoff, who is a Disney director and animator. He was one of our all-stars last year. He is producing our show. Connie Waxler is our event planner. Um, and if you've seen the pictures or the information about it before, it's always both a super fun and inspirational evening. And tickets are on sale right now on JewInTheCity.com. And as a special thing this year is an effort, an extra way to raise some money. Um, we have the Orthodox All-Stars Experience Auction. It's a Chinese-style auction where some of our most popular all-stars from out from the last four years are um, you know, giving of their time or some sort of product or something of themselves to a lucky winner. It's only $25 to buy a ticket to enter, and you can get some pretty cool prizes. You can check those out as well on JewInTheCity.com. Speaking of exceptional Orthodox Jews, it's a nice segue into today's show. Um, today's show is not about this exceptional Orthodox Jew herself, but about the woman who's capturing this exceptional Orthodox Jew, and um, she is an exceptional Jewish woman herself. Um, her name is Jessie Orrit. She is an award-winning documentary filmmaker, uh, video producer, and editor based in New York City. Her short film, The Birdman, screened at festivals around the country and received numerous awards, including the Grand Jury Prize for short documentary at Slam Dance in 2013. Specializing in creating engaging and, engaging and compelling nonfiction content, Jessie has shot, edited, and produced videos for many companies and nonprofits, including UNICEF, IFC.com, DCTV, BRIC, and the New York Daily News. Jessie is a graduate of Tufts University and holds a BA in psychology, and she's f currently working on her first feature documentary, Supergirl, which is what brings Jessie here today. Jessie, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Allison. I'm excited to be on the show. So, Jesse, you, you have a Kickstarter campaign going right now to raise money for this documentary, Supergirl, and because the subject matter is about an uh, exceptional Orthodox Jew, people, and people sort of send me, whenever there's Orthodox Jewish news, whether it's exceptionally good or exceptionally bad, um, I have the people send me emails and messages and, you know, ping me all over the various social media platforms, and so I heard from several people who saw your Kickstarter campaign about this movie called Supergirl. So just to give people a little bit of a background, there is an Orthodox Jewish girl, a young lady, who recently had her bat mitzvah. And is she like the strongest woman in the world or the strongest girl in the world? Or can you tell us a little bit about her name is Naomi? Yeah, actually she um, pronounces it Naomi Kutton. And um, so she 
began powerlifting when she was eight years old. And uh, her father is a lifter and has been training her since then. And she sort of made headlines when she first set a world record when she was nine years old in the 97-pound weight class uh, first, uh, in the squat, which is one of the three lifts that she competes at. And then she again set the world record at uh, 10 years old. And that record, she, weighing under 97 pounds, squatted, I believe the record was 215 pounds, which, you know, quite shocking for someone of her size and stature. And so that um, sort of made headlines and she then had the title of the world's strongest girl. So she's been on multiple uh, TV shows and uh, all over various media outlets. And that's how I heard about her and came to this story. So, okay. So when did you first, her name is Nami Kooten or Kooten or what's, how do you pronounce the last name? Uh, Kooten. Kooten. Okay. So I got that completely wrong. Nami Kooten. And so mm-hmm. what, how long ago did you first hear about her uh, lifting? Uh, so I first found out about Naomi uh, early, beginning of 2013 and um, read about her and reached out to the family because i living in New York and they live in northern New Jersey. And so I was really fascinated by her and her story and reached out to them and we met and, you know, talked about the idea of doing a documentary and they were really excited about embarking on this project together and now here we are a little over three years later and we are now trying to get to the finish line with this film. Um, and but yeah. so what about, there, there's a lot of news. I mean, we're in a 24-hour news cycle and we have access to really everything. I mean, I see videos of like dogs in China, like walking in clothing with backpacks on their back. I mean, I see octopuses on the, you know, the floor of the sea like lifting shells and then going inside. I see the weirdest, strangest, most random stuff from literally all over the world. And I imagine you do too. And something about this story caught your attention and made you want to reach out to the family. So what was it that gripped you and made you want to, to know more and to tell more? Yeah. Well, you know, as a documentary filmmaker, I'm always searching for stories. Anytime an interesting article comes my way, you know, I copy and paste the link and keep it in a document. And this one really grabbed me right away. Cause I mean, to me, you know, as a Jewish woman, um, I also grew up playing sports. So there automatically was that connection to Naomi, but also my own curiosity really, drove me to dig further into the story because from my understanding you know as you know what my understanding of orthodox Jews and my understanding of this male-dominated sport of powerlifting to me there was no way that these things could coexist in one girl's life and I was really fascinated by um, that sort of intersection of those two things and wanted to see what that looked like and explore you know how that could kind of coexist in the for this young girl. So that kind of brings me now to the next sort of question I'm wondering. So tell us a little about your Jewish background and your, I guess, sort of understanding, either interaction and also understanding of the Orthodox community before you met Nami. And I'll just preface before you answer with the fact that I did not grow up observant. And I was actually raised to really dislike the Orthodox community. Um, I was raised conservative and we kind of looked to the Orthodox as extremists and, you know, women subjugators and rock throwers. And so, um, 
really every negative association you see, every negative headline you read about, that was what I thought about the Orthodox community. So you can't be any more offensive in your thoughts than what I was. So kind of, yeah, what was your background and, and what were your feelings about the Orthodox community before you encountered this family? Um, yeah, well, I um, am Jewish. Both of my parents are Jewish, um, but was raised um, pretty secular, um, not belonging to a synagogue. I didn't have a bat mitzvah, but we would celebrate the high holidays and go to our extended, you know, my aunt and uncle's house for Passover seders and, and that. And so it was definitely part of my life and was very aware of it, but not I never really identified with the religion, but I would say, you know, as a, now I would identify as a more of a cultural Jew mm-hmm. um, and living in, I grew up outside of Philadelphia and, you know, had some Jewish friends, but it wasn't a large Jewish community. And then, um, well, Tufts University, where I went to college, had a lot of Jews. So that sure. was sort of my first exposure to more observant Jews my age and people very involved in Hillel there and I'd go to some events there with friends. Um, And then moving to New York after college, I think was the first time I was really exposed to the broader Orthodox world and Mm -hmm. living in Brooklyn, seeing Mm -hmm. the Hasidic Jews, um, you know, in South Williamsburg and Crown Heights, where I often would ride my bike through, you know, and sometimes feel, you know, like I wasn't really welcome there when I would ride through in shorts right. and tank tops and sure. get some looks. Um, right. And I mean, I think as a lot of New Yorkers Jewish and not, you know, you have, you know, you, the, ortho, the very uh, Hasidic Jews are there and, and people don't have a lot of interactions with them. And so I do think that just from my experience with that sect of Judaism sort of infiltrated the broader, you know, broader ideas about just Orthodox Jews in general, as I sure. think that is probably true for many people. Um, but I, I, you know, I was aware that there are obviously different, you know, it's a spectrum and there are different, um, different sects within Orthodoxy. And um, even different sects within Hasidim is another thing. <laughs> we, we actually just put, I'm going to send it to you after this. We put out a video called Hasidic Jews Watch Fiddler on the Roof for the First Time. And we have these four Hasidic guys. And although we're used to seeing, you know, the Hasidic Jewish man that, you know, tells the woman, you know, immodest and or, you know, screaming, you know, Shabbat at the person desecrating the Sabbath publicly. You'll see the guys that we featured here are lovable, they're funny, they're they're adorable, and they exist, and they, they're out there, and we don't <laughs> see them. And unfortunately, the ones that we notice are the ones that are yelling awful things, but um, I, I totally hear what you're coming from. I, one of my first experiences in Israel was walking through the old city of Jerusalem in a tank top and shorts because it was hot, because it was the Middle East, and having a couple men like take their hats and you know block their faces, I walked by, and I was so you know outraged, so... I, I hear you. I remember that uh, that feeling. So you had those feelings, and then what were you expecting when you met Nami's family? Um, well, I mean, I knew that they, you know, they identify as modern Orthodox. So I wasn't. I I knew they wouldn't be that, right. you know, in that um, extreme. But I I didn't really know what to expect, and and that was sort of, you know, why I wanted to meet them because. I didn't, to me, that was a, it was a contradiction of, you know, how could a young girl powerlift and also, you know, be a modern or an Orthodox Jew. So, but I, I, you know, tried to have as open of a mind as possible. And, you know, what I, meeting them, I mean, and I think what really comes through in the film is whether, whether you're a Jew of any level or not, like you, you really relate to them as people. They're, 
they're just a warm, loving, open family. And, and I think that transcends any sort of stereotype that one would have about someone who is part of a, you know, certain group or religion. So, I mean, the, the Judaism is definitely a part of the film, but I don't, you know, it's not, it doesn't overshadow anything else. It's just sort of, it happens to be that this family is modern Orthodox Jewish and they also are, you know, amazing athletes and do lots of other things. Mm -hmm. What was most surprising, if you could say, sometimes these are hard questions when I'm get interviewed, the most surprising, but was there anything you could say sort of the most surprising thing that um, you learned by hanging out with this family in the last three years? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, and I've, it's been great. I've, you know, we, filming them, you had certain, there's certain things like we couldn't film on, on Shabbos. Yeah. Um, that was a, you know, there's, you know, and she doesn't compete on Shabbos either, which is one thing they've had to, you know, work out with the various competitions. A lot of times there are Saturday competitions or where the women and children would usually lift on Saturday and the big heavy men lift on Sunday. So they have to get special permission to lift on Sunday, which um, is fascinating to see this slight young girl next to these really big like men who are about three times her size. Um, but I think probably the most interesting thing that really struck me was just that, I guess, you know, you can sort of, I, I guess my idea of orthodoxy was somewhat more rigid um, or just like if you were a member, um, then there wasn't that much flexibility. But, you know, for them, they are so passionate the whole family is about fitness and particularly weightlifting. And it's just something, you know, basically the, the rules in powerlifting contradict the rules or the laws of modesty in terms of dress. Mm -hmm. And there isn't really, you know, it, there's just not really a great, you know, solution that's going to satisfy both of those realms. So, you know, it, and it makes sense. I mean, I somewhat of a feminist myself and believe that women and girls should be able to, you know, if they want to play sports, like they should be able to play sports. And, and she would a hundred percent, you know, when she's not lifting, she is wearing a skirt and dressing modestly. Yeah. But for powerlifting, there is no, there's, there's no exception. You can't, it wouldn't be safe to lift in a skirt and she has to wear this form fitting singlet that shows her body. Um, and so I guess, I mean, it was it was really eye opening to me to just see, and and really great to see how much her family supported her and and this sport that you know that they were open to being flexible with some of those laws, which I didn't know was really a possibility. Um, but I oh, thought so it was just a, really cool. There, there's a range of opinions. Um, you have look the the doorway for orthodoxy, sort of the starting point of what the the tent you know sort of includes is Sabbath. Um, kosher and mikvah attendance. Um, mm -hmm. Now there's a whole bunch of other, you know, laws uh, on top of that. Um, and different people will tell you different reasons why, you know, if they only do those three, why they don't do more. Um, I think, you know, for me, one of the experiences as a, someone who became an Orthodox Jew is as a person who strives to keep everything, and I certainly don't because I still gossip and I still lose my temper and, you know, um, I'm not always perfect in honoring my parents, all those sorts of things. Um, what I've learned is that um, 
everyone's, you know, uh, observance is on them. That's between them and God. And, um, and what's, bet- what's on me is about not judging. It says in, uh, in Perkeavos and Ethics of the Fathers, um, don't judge another man until you've stood in his place. And so there, there are contradictions or challenges where someone has, you know, a great talent and it doesn't fit so perfectly within Jewish law. Although I'll say, like, Nami does wear a shirt under her uh, her outfit, so that's probably more modest than, you know, the other uh, lifters are doing. But I think in a case like this, there are a range of opinions. You, you know, there are Orthodox rabbis that, you know, don't hold it. It has to be a skirt, although it's probably the minority. But, um I think, I don't know for myself personally, the way that I sort of handle other people's observances is that um, it's on me to, you know, kind of worry about myself and kind of that lesson that we learned in preschool. Um, but mm-hmm. certainly, uh, you know, there there's a range in terms of communities, kind of what, you know, communal norms or um, expectancies are, that sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- has your relationship to your own sort of... Uh, Jewish experience changed at all or been affected by hanging out with this family in the last few years? Um, I mean, I would say just in general, as I've gotten older, I've just come to appreciate um, my heritage as a Jew and, and the traditions involved. And, and through spending, you know, filming with the family, I've gotten to spend Shabbos with them multiple times. I've, I've had Passover at their house. I've, well, we filmed Nami's bat mitzvah, obviously. And unfortunately, Ari, her younger brother's bar mitzvah, is coming up at the end of the month. And I'm unfortunately not going to be able to go, which I'm very sad about. But I, I was invited. And, you know, we joke that, like, I'm part of the family and my whole crew is part of the family at this point. So it's it's really been a great experience to feel, you know, even despite, you know, we are we, there are differences in our religious beliefs and our practices, but it doesn't affect, you know, that sort of relationship at all. Um, but I was going to say one thing, going back to your other question about um, what kind of surprised me and along the lines of modesty, I would add too that one thing that I found, I guess, a little bit surprising and, and fantastic was how much, you know, because I, I didn't know what their community uh, if their community supported them mm-hmm. when, and, and that was something that we explored mm-hmm. a bit in the film. And I mean, I was just shocked and just sort of in awe of how supportive everyone at her, you know, the Hebrew day school that she attended where we filmed yeah. as well as her synagogue and places, you know, where they just celebrated her and her accomplishments and there wasn't criticism or judgment. And I think there probably, there are other communities that, that might you know, think otherwise. But it was just really great to see how much she was supported within her Orthodox Jewish community. That's awesome. Are you able to get any feedback yet on what you're doing because you haven't put it out there yet? Or has Kickstarter allowed you to hear any feedback from the public? Uh, with regards to yes, with regards to, to making the film, yes, with regards sort of to to telling the story, are, have you heard any you know from or just even meaning like a lot of times when you put something out to the world, you know, you get to sort of hear um, people's you know kind of uh, take on on what you put out, but it it doesn't mm-hmm. exist yet. Although you did have sort of your trailer or your description, have you gotten any comments or feedback from? Um, yeah, well, so the Kickstarter has sort of been the first um, public thing that we've posted for the film um, aside we have our website but this is the first time we've released footage from the film and yeah we actually have we nothing much yet I'm sure 
uh, the film will, <laughs> once the film is out, a lot more will come in. Um, but just with the Kickstarter, we have received some um, messages and comments just sort of questioning, you know, one in particular a young woman reached out to me and, and said, you know, I think you might be mistaken. I think you mean, you know, you said that she's orthodox, but I think you meant conservative because the way she looks in the video when she's lifting, you know, her she's wearing, you know, the singlet and her arms and le lower legs are exposed. And I just politely wrote back to her and I said, you know, like, thank you so much for your message. But in fact, the family does identify as modern Orthodox Jewish and they 100% observe, you know, they observe the laws of Shabbos and they keep they keep kosher and modesty is sort of the one place where, you know, there is a little bit of flexibility with them. And, and I'm assuming that there will be a lot more feedback um, like that. And it's interesting because I think what I'm realizing is that there are people who, there are people who don't know anything about Judaism at all, let alone orthodoxy. And those people are, you know, kind of take it for what it is and don't yeah. know the, the details of modesty. And then there are people who, like yourself, who are very well-educated and, um, you know, about this sort of subject. And you understand that there is that spectrum. But what the feedback, I think, and the confusion we're getting is, is from people who maybe are more familiar with Judaism or are Jewish themselves but don't know that much. And that's where I think people are seeing this contradiction and questioning things. And that's sort of where I was at, at the beginning of making this film. I'm not quite understanding, but for me, I was open and I, I wanted to know more because I thought it was so cool that this, you know, young Orthodox girl was powerlifting. And I think hopefully more people who don't quite understand will see it in a positive way rather than a negative way. But, you know, I think we'll, we'll see the kind of reactions that we get down the road. But um, either way, even if it's negative, I think it's great to just be opening up questions and, and possible discussions because I think it's something that should be discussed. And, you know, if people don't know about it, then it's, you know, a welcome invitation to educate people. It's frustrating, you know, it's, I always wonder how to open the minds of closed minds. And I, mm -hmm. I, the truth is that I see it on both sides because I see, you know, the, to the ultra right and the ultra left, both sides, um, you know, will come to me either, um, you know, um, a heretic, um, for, you know, on the right side or, you know, I'm a, an apologist for, you know, a backwards misogynistic religion on the left side and neither side is willing to, you know, sort of see things differently or kind of come down and have a conversation and sort of see where someone else is. It's so troubling that, you know, and I, I know these people that spend their time writing to strangers to tell them how to live. It's just so beyond me how people like this don't realize that, you know, um, Rabbi Hillel, also from um, this book, Perkei Avot, that I quite, uh, quoted before, Ethics of the Fathers, um, uh, says, uh, no, who, am I, who do I want to quote? Yes, um, what's hurtful to you, don't do to another. The rest is mm -hmm. all commentary, that a, um, a prospective convert um, comes to him to find out what the Torah on one foot is, and he sums it up, what's hurtful to you, don't do to another. The rest is all commentary. And so I think, you know, um, 
it, some of these stereotypes that we're trying to break down here at Jew in the City are based in actual people. It's people that you're hearing from because, unfortunately, some people have conflated their observance with telling other people how to live or judging other people about how they live, um, looking down. And it's just so um, it's so troubling because. In my mind, living a Torah life should be Shabbos and charity and, you know, loving kindness and using your talents. And um, and it's so, I don't know how we can, I don't think that we can stop the, you know, the closed-minded people. But um, by sharing stories of, you know, people doing out-of-the-box things and people... Um, Living with contradiction, even if it's not simple, even, you know, I'm not a person to, you know, say, oh, well, you know, that law doesn't matter. I won't do that either. But at the same time, I say that it's not my, it's not my tra- challenge. It's not my struggle. It's not my business. Um, and there's a lot of wonderful things to celebrate um, that, you know, this young girl is doing something she loves, is, you know, um, keeping Shabbos and, you know, making, you know, this association, you know, or sort of uh, notifying them that there's even this thing called Shabbos out there and they're they're willing to, you know, work with her and her uh, needs. I think there's so many positive things to focus on. There's this idea on on Shabbos. I'm not sure. They're probably not getting into the nitty gritty um, on Shabbos with you in terms of details, but there's 39 categories of creative work of um, what the, the tabernacle what was done to build the tabernacle in the desert in the time between Egypt and entering the land of Israel. And from these 39 categories of creative work, we derive what we're not allowed to do on Shabbos. One of them is borer. You're not allowed to take the bad from the good. If you have peas and carrots and you don't like peas, you can't remove them from your um, pea and carrot mixture, but you can take the good from the bad. You can take your carrots out and eat those and leave the peas behind. And I think in life, um, a lot of times we have to do borer. We have to sort of look for the best in the situation as opposed to only focusing on you know, what's wrong or um, what's negative. So all this talk about this uh, soon-to-be documentary Supergirl, it's Mm -hmm. almost done, but you are a little bit short on funds. Yeah, we are basically so close to the finish line, and we're now trying to raise the rest of the funds we need to finish the film on Kickstarter. We have a a goal of $35,000, which covers all the final sound and color mix that's going to make the film awesome and then you know just the the cost it takes to just get the film out into the world and at film festivals so people can see it and eventually you know on hopefully on your uh, streaming devices on where you can watch it at home um but yeah we are really need to raise this money and kickstarter is an all-or-nothing platform so there's that extra and what's, push. what's the url uh we have a a short an abbreviated URL. Um, it's a bit.ly link, so I can spell it out for people, but it's bit.ly bit.ly slash Supergirl KS. And that's Supergirl Kickstarter. And an easier link to remember might be our, our website is supergirldoc.com and we'll have a link to our Kickstarter campaign there, as well as on all of our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So just Supergirl Doc or Supergirl Documentary, and you can find us, like the film on those channels, and you'll be updated when the film is going to premiere and when you'll, we'll have local screenings in your area. So I um, highly recommend that. And we're really excited to get this film out in the world because, you know, as you said, I think, you know, th- one of the reasons I am passionate about documentary filmmaking is it's a, such a great tool to, you know, create positive change in the world. And I think this film, you know, 
will really do great in breaking down those stereotypes for people. And, and hopefully, you know, people will just relate to Naomi and her family as the wonderful humans, devoted, caring beings. Yeah, caring human beings that they are. And that will transcend all those negative stigmas and stereotypes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for taking the time and the care for wanting to build this bridge here. And I apologize in advance for any negative comments that uh, you're getting. Anyone that um, says something negative or awful to you, you can ask them if they're really orthodox and you can tell them <laughs> I said that. Um, and thank you so much for listening today. You can catch us same time, same place next week.